Well, as we come into Isaiah chapter 11, starting verse 1, we're talking about the righteous reign of the branch. And of course, in this Christmas season, we know Isaiah has quite a few chapters that are devoted to the Messiah, to the servant of Christ. And so I think it's important for us just to get a hold of this here today. When you look here in Isaiah 11, talking about the branch, the branch is talking about Christ, it's talking about the righteous branch, talking about our Messiah. And so when you look here, Assyria would be like a tree that was cut down at the height of its power. If we back all the way up into chapter 10, it talks about God using Assyria, but also judging Assyria. In Isaiah 10, verse 33, it says, Behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, shall lop the brow of the terror, and the high ones of stature shall be hewn down, and the haughty shall be humbled. And he shall cut down the thickets of the forest with iron in Lebanon, shall fall by a mighty one. And the whole purpose of the Assyrian dynasty is that it would never rise again. But as we come into chapter 11, we're going to deal with the aspect of Judah, the royal line of David, would be like a tree chopped down to the stump. But from the stump, it would shoot up new branches, which would be the Messiah. And he would be greater than the original tree. Much fruit would come from this branch, the Messiah would be fulfilled as one of God's promises. And so when you think about a descendant of David, as the Bible says, that he, this descendant, this branch, this Christ, would rule forever. I mean, I don't know about you, but I pray the Lord's coming is close. I'm praying to be home with Christ, because that's the whole purpose of our life. It's not about this life. This is a temporal life. About a life with Christ, it's about a life with the branch, which is the righteousness that's imputed to every true believer. And even when we think about David, as a Christ would be a descendant of David. Remember what the promises in Second Samuel chapter seven, verse thirteen, the Bible said, "He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever." Now God's speaking here. He says, "And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with a rod of men." and with stripes of the children of men, but my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul when I put him away before thee. And thy house and thy kingdom, talking about David, shall be established forever before thee, and thy throne shall be established forever. And so when you look at the promises of God, he was telling David that his kingdom would be established forever. David would pass, but the Messiah would come through the line of David or the line of Jesse as we're going to see here and so when you come into our text here in Isaiah 11 we're talking about this branch that's going to come out of the line of Jesse you follow that prophetic bloodline all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament you'll realize we have 14 generations that came to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and he was born of this bloodline and so when we're thinking about Christmas and we think about all the promises that God has for us in Christ, it's simply amazing to realize that Jesus Christ is the Messiah of God. He was sent forth to be a Savior, a propitiation, and he did come to liberate us and forgive us of all our sins. And so when you come here to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, it says, And there shall come forth. I mean, the prophet, having described the destruction of the Assyrian army, where God used Assyria to chastise Israel, and then God held Assyria responsible for what they did to Israel. But he has here a very interesting 
representation because he takes the occasion to represent the Christ of the New Testament, the Christ of Scripture. And I think these things are important. I mean, the one who makes of this subject here in this chapter a twig or a shooting branch out of an old tree, we realize that we're talking about Christ who will bring forth much fruit. And if you are a born-again believer here today, you are part of the fruit that he speaks of, that his branch will prosper, his branch will be fruitful, and will multiply. And so when it says here, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. I mean, with the Babylonian captivity there in 586 BC as our timeline, the Davidic dynasty appeared as destroyed as the Assyrian army, but there was a major difference between this line and the Assyrians. I mean, the life remaining in the stump and roots of David's line or the life that was manifest as new growth from the rod and the branch. The Assyrian army would never be resurrected again. It would be utterly destroyed by God. But even though Israel was chastened by them and the stump was cut, or the tree was cut down to the stump, a righteous branch came outside of that stump because God is the one that's bringing that branch to be. So when you think about Jesse, who was David's father, I mean, through that line, the Messianic king would come again in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thy horn with oil, and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And even in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12, it says, And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all a beautiful countenance and a goodly look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And it says there, verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of the brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And so Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And so when we're looking here, we realize we have a branch that was prophetically proclaimed by God that would come through Jesse to David, and that's what we call the divinic kingdom. And so when we look here, the Bible says, a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Obviously, the branch is a title for the Messiah. When you see the word branch there, this is a messianic title of Christ. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2, it says, And in that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely, for they are escaped of Israel. So in Isaiah 4, 2, we have the first mention of this branch, but it would be a branch of the Lord. And so when we look here, we're talking about a branch shall grow out of his roots. That would be the divinic kingdom, David was a son of Jesse, that's where the root would come through. Now Satan has tried to hinder that bloodline for all these years, but yet we know that Christ did come on the scene exactly like the Bible says, born the exact same day that God said he would come into the world and he would be a savior of the world, especially to them that believe. So when you come into verse 2 in Isaiah 11, we're talking about description of the Messiah. Now there's a lot of verses that could go along with this, and I didn't list them all, but there is a lot of verses. The Bible says that in verse 2, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest 
upon him. Now, we already seen the Spirit of the Lord came upon David and rested upon him, but now we're talking about Christ. The Bible says, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. It come upon David the same way as the anointed king. Remember in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward until Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And so when we look at the Spirit of the Lord coming upon the Messiah, he will rest upon David's descendant, Christ who will rule the world, and we know that to be true, because the Bible gives a sevenfold description of Christ. So when you come into verse 2, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So we're talking about the same Holy Spirit that has come upon each and every believer that has sealed us until the day of Christ, till the day we enter into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there are spirit-imparted qualifications here, this will enable us to, for the Messiah to rule justly and effectively, because again, when you back up into there, it says the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. This is the Holy Spirit that works in us as he did in David. He works in us as he works in other believers down through the centuries. But I just want to look at this sevenfold spirit that the Bible is speaking of here. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, John gives a description and he says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him, which is, which was, and which is to come, from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Obviously, this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Now, when we think about the Holy Spirit, there's not a lot of people that talk too much about the Holy Spirit, but I believe it's vitally important for us to realize that the Holy Spirit is the one that enables us to do what we're supposed to do. He is the one that gives us the power to be faithful witnesses, to be a faithful light and salt in a very dark world. When Satan would like to destroy us and put us out of our misery and rid this world of our message, of our light, of our salt, we have to stand true to God because God has given us the Holy Spirit. Remember in John chapter 14, verse 17, even the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And of course, that was Christ speaking in the upper room discourse, and we know the Holy Spirit had not been given at that time, but once Christ went upon that cross, died that death, rose again the third day, ascended up into heaven, the Bible says that he sent the third person of the Trinity back to believers and that's where they were empowered by the holy spirit so when we come to the book of acts we see the power and working of the holy spirit a reference to him again the spirit of truth again in john chapter 15 verse 26 the one the comforter has come that's the paraclete the one that comes alongside us and aids us when we feel defeated and crushed at the seams the holy spirit comes alongside empowers us enables us to do what God has called us to do, whether it be too many or too few. But he says here, when the comforter is come, so when we look at a reference like that, we realize he hasn't come as of yet, but Christ had the Holy Spirit without measure because he was the Messiah. 
And so he says, when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth. So remember in John chapter 14, verse 17, even the Spirit of truth, John 15, 26, even the <clears throat> Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall, the Holy Spirit shall testify of me. Remember, the Holy Spirit does not speak about himself. He speaks of Christ. He will testify of Christ. And it's really important because we're going to be going through the doctrine of the Holy Spirit because I think it is a doctrine that is not talked about a lot today. Kind of one of those things that are hidden out there in the shadows. And I don't believe it needs to be hidden in the shadows. I believe we need to be true to the Holy Spirit. He is the third person of the Trinity. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we're talking about the Messiah. He has the Holy Spirit without measure. Again, what is the listing? The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So when we looked here, we see these two verses, even the spirit of truth. But we have another verse in John chapter 16, verse 13. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, see at this point he has not come, he will guide you into all truth. People say, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? He testifies of Christ, and he's our teacher. He is the one that guides us into the truth. That's when you read the Word of God, and the Word of God becomes alive to you. It is illuminated or revealed unto you by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible says the Holy Spirit is our teacher. No man teaches us anything. So when we're reading the Word of God, the Spirit of God, which empowered Christ the Messiah, as we see there in verse 2, we realize that he is also considered over and over again the spirit of truth. So is there a, such a thing as absolute truth? Yes, in the person, in the embodiment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will shew you all things to come. So when we talk about wisdom, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. When we're talking about understanding, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And counsel and might and knowledge and the fear of the Lord, these are all workings of the Holy Spirit, even in a believer, if you are a believer today. So when the Bible says here about the Messiah having the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold spirit that we've seen in Revelation 1-4, we know we are talking about the third person of the Godhead. This is the God of Scripture. He is much God as the Father, as much God as the Son, and the Holy Spirit is also God. We call it Trinitarian. And so when we begin, when we come back into our text here in Isaiah 11, verse 3, the Bible says there, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. You know, that's kind of one of these things that you and I should pray for. Lord, give me a quick understanding in the fear of of the Lord. Give me a heart that has a fear of the Lord, a dread or the terror of the Lord to keep me from sin, to be obedient and faithful to Christ. I mean, we live in a fallen world. We're in the day of darkness. The darkness is getting darker, and the only light we have is Christ, which the Bible says is Christ is the light of the world, and he is, is the Messiah, the anointed one, of God. So when you look at the verse here, and he shall make him a quick understanding, the Spirit of God will make the Messiah in the truest sense, the Godhead, because Christ is an embodiment of the Godhead in the truest sense. 
and shall make him of quick understanding the fear of Yahweh, because all caps are on your in your Bible there. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. Now, there are ordinary avenues for a king to obtain the information needed to govern. But the future king, Christ the Messiah, will have a supernatural perception beyond usual sources, for he is the God-man. We talk about the incarnation of Christ, vitally important in doctrinal understanding and doctrinal theory, because it's vital for us to understand the power of the incarnation, God with us, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, as the Bible says. But when we look here talking about this Christ, in Isaiah chapter 33, verse 6, the Bible says, And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times, and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. I thought that was an interesting verse there. When you talk about wisdom and knowledge, we also know that if we lack wisdom, we can ask of him that giveth wisdom to us. So if you are reading your scripture and you have no understanding of certain verses that you're in, the Bible tells us to ask God, seek Christ, seek the Holy Spirit to give you the wisdom and the understanding. Just like our verse, verse says there in Isaiah 33, 6, and wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of that time of thy times. I mean, even us today, when you think about it, wisdom and knowledge is vitally important for our own stability and well-being. But our wisdom and our knowledge comes by the word of God, and the Holy Spirit is the one that confirms it in our heart who we are in Christ, because the Holy Spirit does not speak of himself, but he speaks and testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ like we have seen. Even in the Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 5, thou shalt un thou, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I mean, the Proverbs are pretty amazing because when it says here, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and because of the understanding of the fear of the Lord, you will find the knowledge of God. I mean, I don't know about you, but a lot of people feel they are seeking for knowledge. Listen to me, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have all the knowledge you could ever use. And we read this book that's been given unto us that we may understand what God has said to us by the power of the Holy Spirit that is living in us. The Bible says that we have been sealed until the day of redemption. That means that the Holy Spirit has claimed us for Christ because remember, he testifies of Christ and he is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity given to us. Well, think about a New Testament application of our verse here. Let's read it one more time in Isaiah eleven three, And shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, that's Yahweh, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, the Bible says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So that's kind of interesting when you think about Christ, but he is incarnate. He is the God-man. We call it the hypostatic union, 100% God, 100% man. And so when you come back into our text here, he says in verse 4, 
but with righteousness shall he judge the poor. I noticed the word righteousness there. And reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. I mean, the Messiah will reverse Israel's early dealings with the underprivileged, as you've seen. If you look at a verse like Isaiah chapter 3, verse 14, the Lord will enter into judgment with the ancients of his people and the princes thereof, for ye have eaten up the vineyard, the spoil of the poor is your houses. What mean ye that ye beat my people to pieces and grind the faces of the poor, saith the Lord of hosts. So I mean, when you look at the scripture here, he has much to say. When you think about the righteousness of Christ, you realize that we stand before a holy God based upon the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? It's based upon the life and merit of Christ himself. So when you and I stand holy before God, it's surely not because of what we have done. It's not because of our own merit, because we've been good Christians. It's because Christ has saved us and Christ has given us the righteousness that can stand holy and blameless before God the Father. And so when God the Father sent his only begotten Son into the world, he sent him as a Savior to save souls. So when Christ came, he came to save. He didn't come to hope to save. He came to save all that the Father would give him. And so when you look at a verse like Isaiah chapter 10, verse 1, dealing with the same, I'll read the verse again in Isaiah 11, 4. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 1, the Bible says, Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees and write grievances that they have prescribed, to turn away or turn aside the needy from judgment and to take away the right from the poor of my people that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. So when you think about it, the Messiah is going to come with a righteous judgment. So when I look around, I see the world today and I see all the evil that's going on. I know everything God does is righteous. I know there's a purpose for everything. I know I can pillow my head in the sovereignty of God in the sense that he has everything under control and that I totally submit unto him and know him because the Holy Spirit testifies that you can trust God. I mean, when I look at the word of God, it says, let every man be a liar, but let God be true. That means that God has never lied to me a day in my life. God has always been faithful to his word. God has never changed because he changes not. And so when we think about God in such a way, we can be truly, absolutely fascinated to believe that God would save any of us from our sin and declare us righteous because we were also poor and needy sinners in desperate need of a Savior, and God came and saved us. So when we come back into our text here, verse 4, But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. I mean, the branches rule over the nations will be very forceful. You know, the New Testament uses equivalent terminology to describe him as the warrior king in the truest sense. He will triumph at his return to the earth. I mean, no man is going to be to put Christ down when he comes back. Talk about the second coming. He won't come as meek and mild. He's not coming as a babe wrapped in the swaddling major. He's coming as a conqueror. And if you remember in Revelation chapter 19, 
the Bible says the blood will be as high as the bridle on the horses. It'll be like a sea of blood from all the blood that God will shed of men that try to refuse and turn away from him. Again, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 15, the Bible says, speaking of the conquering Christ, because Christ is coming as a conqueror. You know, today we always say, well, God is love and God is love. But God is much more than love. Love doesn't trump all the attributes of God. God is also a God of war, a God of wrath, a God of anger, a God of fierceness. I mean, <clears throat> that's what the Bible say, says. So that's important for us to understand. So let's take a picture shot that we have here in Revelation 19, verse 15. And out of his mouth, speaking of Christ, goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations. Notice the word he, singular, the Messiah Christ, shall smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierce of the wrath of Almighty God. You know, a lot of churches today do not talk about the wrath of God, but I want you to know God's wrath is just as important as God's love. I mean, you have to understand that because God pours out his wrath upon sinful men. You know, people say, well, we don't like to hear about the wrath of God. That kind of bothers me. Well, it should bother you, especially if you're a sinner. You've never repented of your sin because the Bible makes it very clear that when God unleashes his wrath, you will be utterly consumed. You'll never be able to stand against him. And so when you look here, he's talking about the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. But remember at the first part of that verse in Revelation 19:15, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. You know, the Bible makes it very clear that as a child of God, we've been given one weapon. It's called a two-edged sword. It's called the word of God. That's the only weapon that a Christian has. Remember, God never put no armor on the back. He always put it on the front because no Christian is a coward. No Christian turns his back. He stands if he can't walk. He stands locked into the ground. And so when you look at a couple other verses dealing with this sharp sword, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 2, <coughs> And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft, and in his quiver hath he hid me. I mean, I want you to notice the idea of a sharp sword. The Word of God is a very sharp Sword. You and I can take the, the philosophies of the world, the ideologies of the world, and have the Word of God and have all the wisdom we need to overcome all the obstacles of men's wisdom. We do not need earthly wisdom. It's central. It's devilish, is what the Bible says. We need the wisdom of God. We need the power of God in our hearts and our minds where we can use our sword for the glory of God because the Word of God is very sharp. It can pierce the heart. It can flay the heart. It can do all kinds of things that change lives because the Word of God is very powerful. And so when you look at another verse in Psalms, chapter 2, verse 9, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, and thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, Psalm, Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. We have a lot of prophetic things that are mentioned just in a few short verses. But again, when we come back here in verse 4, of our text, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove the equity for the meek of the earth, for he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. I mean, this is another speech figure of the Messiah. 
means of inflicting physical harm. I mean, Paul draws upon this to talk about the destruction of the man of lawless, lawlessness that we find in Second Thessalonians. And of course, this is at Christ's second advent or second coming. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. That's that two-edged sword. And shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. You know, so we see again that spirit of his mouth, the two-edged sword that came out of the mouth of the Messiah, which we've seen in Revelation 19.15, but also in Psalm chapter 18, verse 8, there went up a smoke out of his nostrils and a fire out of his mouth devoured and coals were kindled by it. So when we think about the word of God, that's how powerful the word of God is. When God speaks, it's done. You know, it isn't the idea, it isn't up for debate. You know, when you look at the word of God and you see the branch is going to come, Isaiah prophesying the Christ is going to come. We have a fulfillment of this prophecy in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Christ comes that second time, at the second coming, like I said, he's not coming meek and wild. He's coming as a conqueror that's going to utterly destroy his own creatures that he created in the image of God, of himself. Okay, so that's kind of important. And so when you look here in verse 5, the Bible, in our text, Isaiah 11, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins. You know, that's an interesting thing because when you and I were born again, if you are born again here today, we are, our salvation is wholly, completely based upon the righteousness of Christ. We call it imputed righteousness. When we think about imputation, we talk about Christ took our sin upon himself, bore it at Calvary, and then hath given us the life and righteousness of Christ. That's how we're justified before a holy God. And so when you look at Isaiah 11:5, and righteousness shall be the griddle of his loins. Think of a couple verses here. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17, where he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head, and he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, was clad in zeal as a cloak. I mean, we're talking about the coming Messiah. Today you have people that are mocking God. You have people that want to shut the church down, shut the voice of Christ down. They cannot shut the voice of God down. It is the two-edged sword. We will pull it out. We will fight the fight of faith, and we will be found faithful to Christ. So that's really important to understand that, that our only weapon of warfare is the Word of God. So why do we read the Word of God? That we may know God. This is how God has revealed Himself to us. If we never read the Word of God and we just expect God to reveal Himself to us, you are sadly misunderstood the Scripture. You read the Word of God that you can write it on the tables of your heart and that when the time comes of your testing of your faith, you will have enough of the scripture in your heart to be fine and debate any ideology and any philosophy of any worldly wisdom, and you will defeat it by the simplicity of the word of God. And so that's why when you look here, and righteousness shall be a griddle of his lines. Another verse that deals with this is Psalm 93, verse 1. The Lord reigneth, he is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he has gridded 
himself, the world also is established that it cannot be moved. And so when you look here, we realize that God is the sustainer of all things. We, we talk about climate change. We talk about green deals. The truth of it is God is the keeper of his creation, and he does not need man's help. Okay, so we have to be careful with those philosophies. We have to be careful with those lies. But if you read the word of God and you understand God is the sustainer of all things, then you will do well. You will not buy the lie. You will not be brought in by lying tongues for you will know what the lie is because you know the truth. So when we think about counterfeit, if you know how well a $100 bill is because you know what a hundred dollar bill is you know it because you know what a hundred dollar bill is if somebody tries to pass a hundred dollar bill to you that's a fraud bill you will see it immediately because you are well acquainted with an authentic hundred dollar bill no different than the word of god if you know the word of god and you are well acquainted with the god of the word and he has written these in your heart and the holy spirit gives you understanding because he testifies of Christ and gives you wisdom of Christ and gives you knowledge of Christ day by day, moment by moment, as you read the word of God, when the counterfeit comes in, you'll know immediately that's a lie, that's not true, and I will not go there because I know what God's word said. And that's where we should be. And so when you look in Isaiah 11, 5, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the griddle of his ruins. Look here, the belt which gathered in all the loose fragments that we find in Ephesians chapter 6 really shows the readiness of the Messiah. He's prepared, he's ready for the battle, nothing's going to take him off hand, and that righteousness and faithfulness are his preparation for the final judgment of creation. Now, we talk about people are speaking of nuclear war. We talk about these things quite a lot in the news and things like that. Listen to me. The one that's going to utterly destroy the world is going to be God. It's not going to be man. God will destroy this world. But for now, we know this world will exist for at least another thousand years. It's called the millennial reign of Christ upon this earth for 1,000 years years. So we hear a lot of talk today about the whole world being utterly destroyed. Rest assured it won't be until God destroys it himself. And he doesn't need a nuclear bomb to do it, but maybe he will choose that way to destroy the world. Who knows? But what I want you to realize is when he talks about faithfulness, this righteousness, the faithfulness of God, powerful. I mean, I don't know about you, but when you're going through life, life isn't always easy hands us many knuckleballs and screwballs and curveballs and fastballs and slowballs. We don't always see them coming. But we do know that if we have the Word of God written in the tables of our heart, that we're ready, we're prepared. And the reason we're prepared is that we're faithful and that we're righteous in Christ. When you look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, the Bible says, Stand therefore, having your loins grid about with truth, the only way you have your loins girt about with truth is by the reading, meditating, pausing upon the Word of God. I mean, that's exactly what you have to do, and you're not going to do it overnight. It's going to be a lifetime of study. I mean, all of us are disciples if you're in Christ. You're a learner. That's what a disciple is, a learner. It means that you're a student the rest of your life. 
learning the Word of God. We don't have the understanding complete today. We're learning and growing in the grace and knowledge. So when he says, stand therefore, having the loins agreed about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness. Or, I, or Isaiah chapter 25, verse 1, O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. So when you look here, the counsels of old, what are they? Faithfulness and truth. That is a declaration of God. And finally, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, the Bible says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, talking about the incarnation, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ speaking of us, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, that's God the Father, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. I mean, what was the purpose of Christ's coming? The purpose of Christ's coming was to save his people from their sin. That was the purpose of his coming. And so when we think about this righteousness and we think about this Messiah, it's very important for us to understand that God did this work to redeem a people unto himself. Remember the verse there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. So when we look at the word of God and we look at some verses here, especially in this Christmas season, what you realize is Christ fulfilled all these prophecies that were written of him in the Old Testament. So when you think about Christ when he came, he fulfilled over 600 prophecies that were written about him for 4,000 years by multiple authors, and yet Christ came and fulfilled every single one of them all the way to the day that he was born, to the day that he died, to the day that he rose again from the dead on the third day. And all this according to the purpose and counsel of God before the foundation of the world. Okay, that's important to understand that. That means that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had total agreement that you would be saved because the names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. So when a person gets born again, God doesn't begin to love us. He has always loved us with an everlasting love. We don't understand it. We don't have the perfect ideas in exactly how God did it, but we know God did it because he spoke it in his book the word of God. So let us close our eyes.